on Sagittarian Matters, we talk about bad vegan, tinder swindlers, the raw cookbook by Giuliano, and more with very special guest and friend to the show, Lagusta Yearwood. Stay tuned. Sagittarian Matters, Sagittarian Matters, what's the Hello from the Sagittarian Matters Social Distancing Studios in Tahunga, California. Listeners, before I bring special friend to the show, Lagusta, on board to talk about the Netflix film Bad Vegan, I just want to tell you briefly a few things. Number one, that documentary, here's the deal with the documentary. I'm going to explain it as we talk about it. So you don't actually have to have seen it, but you can. If You, you could just watch the trailer even. But basically, there was a woman who had a raw food restaurant that was all vegan in New York City. It was a really popular restaurant. And then she got grifted or was a grifter, went on the run, and they caught her because someone used her credit card to order a pizza. So the big deal was everyone was like, this vegan thinks she's so high and mighty because she doesn't need animal products. But look at her. She ate a pizza. She ate a pizza. Everybody, a vegan did something that we all do. Look at her. She's so bad. Look, we're not bad and she's good. Now she's bad like a, like I, you know what? People need to give vegans a break. Let, let, this woman did way worse things than eat a pizza. And she didn't even eat the pizza, as we'll talk about today together. Anyway, as a vegan, this kind of weird thing where people like put you on a strange pedestal and kind of watch cautiously to see if you drop. They're like, ooh, did you eat a bite of a cinnamon roll? Ooh, did that lady order a pizza on her credit card? Let vegans live, man. Live and let live. Okay. The other thing I wanted to tell you is that friend to the show, Morgan, came to visit the Tahunga Social Distancing Studios and brought me two gifts, nay, three gifts, which I want to tell you about. Number one, pistachio butter. Yum! I can't remember what it's called. Arquette Farms, something from Los Angeles. It is a nut butter made of pistachios, and it is lightly salted, or maybe I just added my own salt. It was so delicious, a little bit sweet. I ate the entire jar, and it's such a beautiful green color, as you know pistachios are. The other things Morgan brought me are two badges, also known as buttons. One of them says, I prefer prunes. The other one says, start a movement, eat a prune. I want to wear them both at the same time, every day, proudly on my walk with my dog as I'm bird watching. And I wanted you to know that I've also not only reached across into my geriatric destiny, but I have also stepped into my full Midwestern form. The other day, I had a bunch of flowers that I saved from the weed whacker, and I was looking around for a place to put them. All the flower vases were full of flowers. And then I looked at an empty decorative, and I looked at an empty watering can that I got to water, and I thought, you know what? What if I just put this bouquet of flowers right in that watering can? And all of a sudden, it became a decorative watering can. And all of a sudden, we're living country hearth lifestyle out here. Um, what else do I want to tell you? That's pretty much it. Oh, God. Lagusta, after we talked. So she, she reveals her new business at the end of this podcast. But she also has another new business venture she did not talk about, which is she started making instant macaroni and cheese. Vegan. Okay. She got a dehydrator at her place, Commissary, in upstate New York. 
They have been dehydrating essentially their cheese sauce, which has cashews and miso and so many herbs, and it is a delight. She sent me two boxes. I've tried one. I'm going to review another one with friend to the show, spouse to the show, Kaya, very soon. I tried the gluten-free box by myself because I could not wait. I didn't even have butter, Miyoko's, on hand. All I had was olive oil, and it was still such a delight. It was so delicious. The depth of the flavor that they get from their cashews, from their miso, from the herbs they've selected make it really, really delicious. Um, It's pricey. It's ethical. I got at least three servings out of it could have done four. I was having, I had it as a main the first night and then I had it as a side dish other days, um, you know, with my lunch supplemented by broccoli, supplemented by chard, by tofu. It was so good. So check that out at lagustasluscious.com. Is this sponsored content? Not really. I mean, did she send it to me to see what I thought? Yes. Would I buy it on my own? Yes. Have I bought it on my own in person, the original not boxed version? I have, and I would again. So there's a bunch of information for you. And now I'm going to talk about this Netflix original series, limited series, Bad Vegan. Legusta Yearwood is a vegan chocolatier, a business owner, and a writer from New Paltz, New York City. Not New York City, New Paltz, New York. State. She owns Augusta's Luscious, Commissary in the Hudson Valley, and Confectionery in New York City. She also is launching a new business, which we'll talk about at the end of this podcast. And you can get her macaroni and cheese at lagustasluscious.com. Now, please enjoy my talk with longtime friend to the show, Lagusta. You're a longtime friend to the show. Uh, intermittent sponsor of the show fan favorite a food that we talk about it it just you know what you're just you're you're like an esteemed friend of the show and so it's it's exciting to have you have you back and you're back to talk about a show on netflix this is not spawn con i got it i got interested in watching this show because i saw you were watching this show and the show is called Bad, bad vegan. vegan. Were we supposed to say it together? <laughs> we did. Um, okay. I'm going to, I'm interested in your rundown of the show. How could, how would you describe it? This show is dumb. That's how I would describe it. Uh, <laughs> well, so you didn't get a bunch of texts from friends of yours when it came out of like, oh my God, bad vegan. Maybe I think it's because I know people who work there and I don't know, it's like a New York thing, but I feel like the day it came out, I was like, What? Um, okay. So basically bad vegan is about this New York city chef. Although one, the word chef don't ever use it. It's the worst. Um, (laughs) this New York city food person who was kind of the epitome of the raw vegan scene, um, and her epic downfall Shakespearean in nature, but it just got so depressing to me. (laughs) I was really depressed. Did you watch the Tinder swindler? God, no. See, I don't watch things like this. I think that's the problem is I only watch this because it's like my community and like people that I knew I was. So I, I like, I have no, I mean, I, I was saying like in my 
Instagram stories. I don't know why I'm quoting my own Instagram story. <laughs> but, but like I have, I really live and die by the Bechdel test. Like I'm not watching shit that is about men. Like, and it turns out that this is really about a man. So I'm still mad that I was swindled into watching it. I, I was swindled. It's you swindled. were tender swindled. <laughs> swindled. Well, so, so this, this woman, what year is this happening? It all happened a lot later than I thought too. So I guess they were the like 2019. <laughs> yeah. It was this like yesterday. The restaurant was in existence since like 2004 to like 2015. I don't know if that's right. Don't quote me on it, but it was like way longer than you'd think. I think that it closed in 2015 and this all happened in like 2014, 2015, which in my mind, it was like 2009. I don't know, <laughs> but, um, but basically, yeah, she, um, got in with a, a bad guy. It should have been called bad man, but anyway, um, and <laughs> who obviously had a lot of mental problems and also like had a obviously very abusive childhood, really horrible, um, upbringing and didn't get the mental help. And probably I'm sure still isn't that he needs. Um, she fell in with him and was basically, you know, Stockholm syndrome, whatever, like in his spell, um, and obviously he needed tons of money cause that's how these things always go. And she just started embezzling from her own restaurant and her parents, um, and you know, like ended up giving this guy, what, like $6 million or something. There are spoilers. I like, I'm just like, okay. Like today, if Kaya Wilson texted my mom and said <laughs> like, Nicole's almost dead, I need money. My mom would be like here's $25. Don't tell my husband. Well, also like, <laughs> be like, can we talk to Sarma? And, and he would be like, no, no, like that. I would be breaking down the door. If someone was like, you know, you can't talk to your loved one, just give us money. So, yeah. so Sarma is this just to keep running on the show a little bit, because the thing everybody was texting you about, which I also texted you about was the fact that Sarma was, you know, as vegans are kind of nearby some extracurricular, like woo woo magical stuff. And then this guy comes along and somehow he convinces her he has magic powers, including the fact that if she does like a number of tests, which all involve money orders, he can make her dog immortal. The details of this, this was like really you know, showcased in the beginning of the series. And we didn't really get to dig down on how that immortality was going to go, how that conversation went. It just was like in a sentence. And I felt so disappointed because I, I would have been like, tell me more. (laughs) Well, I think she was like, that was the whole thing. She was waiting the whole time. And I think she's probably still waiting. Honestly, the way it ended was kind of like a little bit open-ended. Yeah. it, It was just left as like, if you do everything I say forever, probably your dog will never die, but the dog hasn't died. The dog is super old The dog is living. I mean, he's so, living. He looks, looks, looks like he's aged. I mean, he's like 12. So, yeah. And he's, he's a big dog. Um, but yeah, no, the number of people who texted me that exact things, I, I get really hit to like my little community of like, yeah, yeah. But, um, Yeah. Well, going back to her parent. Oh, first of all, Alicia Kennedy has a really good like explainer on this. If you don't want to watch it, which I don't recommend watching it. It's not a good show. It's not a good, it's not as good as the Tinder swindler. If you're into a swindling show, it's just not a good show. And it doesn't pay off on any of the, it like wrote a check that it just can't, there's not that much about dog immortality. 
the pizza gate of her eating a pizza wasn't even real. It wasn't. Yeah. That's the whole thing people want to know, but I loved that guy being like, she didn't eat that pizza. That was my favorite part. (laughs) That was my favorite part. Let's not spoil anything. (laughs) Oh yeah. Um, no, but if you can, I think for, for Netflix, Alicia wrote like a little like explainer thing. So if you don't want to watch it, just Google like Alicia Kennedy, bad vegan Netflix, whatever. Um, and that, that does a good job, but if you do want to watch it, I would recommend watching like the first two episodes, maybe the last episode, the middle ones are just like, this sucks. This guy's horrible. They're on the run. It's terrible. She's like going downhill. It's very sad. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, so you and I have a lot to say about this, but let's set the scene. So one of my friends who's also a very long time vegetarian from New York was like, this was the first fancy vegan restaurant she had been to. This was the first kind of she, she vegan restaurant after veg- vegetarianism, veganism had been very crunchy, very hippie. Yeah. Sort of. Yeah. And I think what's interesting too, is that it wasn't fancy by vegan standards, which like there are a couple of restaurants in New York city. I think Alicia mentioned in the article, like Zen palette was one that was like, you'd go to on your birthday. And it was very much like, it was nice, but like run by vegans and kind of like cheese ball, but, um, pure food and wine was very, that's the name of the restaurant, um, was very, um, fancy, like objectively, like I know, I guess it's gossipy. I don't care. Um, like I went there at one point with Zoe Deschanel because I used to live a different life. And because <laughs> my partner like toured with bands and he toured with she and him. And so we went to dinner because she was vegan, whatever. And, um, you know, and it was it wasn't it was a place that Zoe Deschanel would go to, you know, and it was like her favorite New York City restaurant. And, um, you know, it just it I mean, the documentary is a ton about this, but it was a lot about like the celebrities who went there and it was a place to see and be seen. And vegans didn't have, and I would say still don't have a place like that. I mean, the closest place I can think of like that. I mean, there's the whole Matthew Kenny, like universe of restaurants, which I find to be not amazing, but, um, and he co-owned the restaurant with her at a certain point. Um, which I thought that that clip of him cooking like a lobster on the today show was very funny. Cause he's such a like vegan icon. And I was kind of like, oh yeah, not always vegan. Okay. Like weird. Um, but I mean, I don't know if there's a restaurant now that people like go to, to be seen in the vegan world. I mean, maybe in New York, like superiority burger, which is not vegan, but I don't know. Um, so yeah, it really was. And it was like, I know that like when it opened, like I would go, I would go there for fancy dinners. I was like a struggling young chef at the time. And that was definitely where I would go as my, you know, like fancy dinner place. Um, yeah. As a chef, what did you think of, I mean, cause also this was, was this around the same, this seemed a little bit after that cookbook raw by Giuliano, Giuliano came out raw by Giuliano. (laughs) Okay. If nobody, everybody take your, you know, take yourself back quantum leap with me to the very early two thousands. Like I'm saying 2001, another New York city vegan restaurant. Did you ever go there? What was there's a vegan restaurant called Quantum Leap in New York City. No, no. I think it's vegan, but they serve fish. Anyway, I didn't know oh if my that God. was like deep cut, but. Well, <laughs> my sister lived in San Francisco and I think she took me to Raw and raw? I got the Raw cookbook, but basically Raw, it was like the most audacious cookbook because not only did it have full page pictures of the chef, Juliana, wearing oh, like good. overalls with no shirt jumping I was gonna into say, the ocean. with no shirt in the ocean too. <laughs> <laughs> but it also had recipes for like, um, it had recipes for water, which was juiced cucumber and, um, gum. What was gum? It was like a dried strawberry. 
It was oh, the, yeah. the recipes it's were like strawberry in the sun for two days and then chew it. Like it's gum. It was just like the recipe for water. I was like, God bless you. I mean, that is like the level of like nerve that like my yeah. mom saying she owns a piece of the cross is the same to me as Giuliano be like, here's how you make water. Well, there was one that was called butter and it was just, it said in like really big letters, like avocado with like eight exclamation points. <laughs> and you would pay, this is a hardback book. Yeah, it was expensive. <laughs> I love that book because I love that guy, that person. Yeah, I don't know yeah. pronouns. Um, but then there was also like um, Roxanne, whatever her name is, had a vegan raw restaurant with or cookbook with like Charlie Trotter. That was oh. like the fancy raw cookbook. But yeah, it's weird to think about what I thought of it at the time. I think I thought it was pretty silly, but I might be putting 2022 me on top of that. But I like, so I went to the culinary school just a couple, like three blocks from there. Um, this like natural foods culinary school. And we studied raw food for a while. It was like a big focus of our program. So it was very like hot at the time. And even at the time I was like 21, I remember being like, no, this is, this is weird. And even like having said that there's so many great techniques and I feel like it's really useful to learn a bunch of the techniques of like raw was all about fermenting things way before that was mainstream, you know, and like sprouting your nuts and, um, you know, like rejuvelac and all these things. So it's like really interesting techniques that are wonderful. And, you know, like I use a spiralizer like three times a year now, and it's great. It's a three times a year thing. Um, but but I remember thinking that people who are like a hundred percent raw, like I knew a couple people who said, I don't know, like instructors of the raw um, classes at my school who were like, oh, I haven't eaten cooked food in like five years. And they just looked like they needed, like, I'm not saying they looked skinny. I'm saying like their, their sense looked like a hot meal would have been nice, like their aura, you know? <laughs> um, so I don't know. It was kind of a weird place. Like everyone went there and they had some really standout dishes. Like there were some desserts that were kind of cool, but then it was just so, it kind of was to me, like how non-vegans feel when they go to a vegan restaurant, like maybe of that time period where it'll be like, you know, Satan Bourguignon. And it's just like these really not flavorful, like Satan, that's terrible. I felt that way there. So it would be like lasagna and then you'd get it. And it's just like a shaved zucchini with like kind of fermented, but not really like you know, pine nut cream or whatever, you know, just like very teeny tiny portions, really, really expensive, not fulfilling at all. Um, but you felt like you're having like this fun night out and there were really nice drinks. You know, it was interesting how they said in there, like they were one of the first people to use fresh juices in their bar program. Like, yeah, there were some cool innovations, but weird place. So it was attracting all these celebrities, including hunk at the time, Alec Baldwin, who would go and then kind of sexually harass Sarna by <laughs> tweeting about what a babe she was. Like, I just yeah. felt it was like workplace harassment where these men would go, including celebrity men and just ogle her. And then that was like part of it. She had like unironic yeah. pigtails. She was like walking around doing stuff, enjoying the, enjoying the attention of these celebrity customers who were like the best reason to go here is Sarna. Auga. So yeah. she like felt like spiritually she was supposed to be with Alec Baldwin. And yet neither of them made the move. He met Hilaria. She met a weird guy that was hanging out in Alec Baldwin's mentions. So there was some guy who, for some reason, not yeah. vegan, never met him. And they also, they described her. Oh, after she broke up with Matthew Kinney or whatever, they described her as being so, her life was horrible. It was just 
working at the vegan restaurant and living alone with her dog. And to me, I was like, her life looks badass. This is great. Why is she needing to try and get some problematic fella in there? Well, this is what's so sad. Like I got the sense from the show that like, she actually is kind of introverted and, and, you know, a really smart person who really loves her dog. And I felt like because of the pressures of running a New York city restaurant as a woman without, you know, a business partner, I don't know what she almost became this like caricature of herself, you know, and like, she went to like, and this is part of my whole hypothesis of this whole thing is that she just reeks of privilege, like, you know, and that I know it's a cheesy word to really harp on, but like, there's really no other word for it. Like she clearly comes from money. I mean, I'm saying that in the sense that her parents were able to send this swindler dude, like hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. She went to Wharton, but had no interest in business. She like, you and I, Nicole did not have the luxury to go to school for something that we were just like, meh, maybe. I don't know. Like, I mean, I went to college, but there was no, like, let me go to fancy business school. I don't know. Um, you know, and then went to the fucking French culinary, like super expensive culinary school after that. I'm pretty sure that's the school she went to. Um, you know, this is like, I don't know, $200,000 of education, like just for fun. Um, I don't know. And, you know, and she had this like very much young, skinny, white, beautiful thing happening. And people latched onto it. And I feel like it was kind of this weird moment of kind of like, you know, you and I, I think both come from this vegan strain that is kind of more punk, feminist, DIY, riot girl, very much like intersectional in many ways could be more intersectional for sure, but, you know, very much so like emphasizing feminism, body positivity, um, you know, not this world that she really embodied but also super duper promoted of like like her cookbook is literally literally called get the glow you know it's very much like eat this way and you'll also be like a skinny whatever you know like her cookbook could have been called skinny bitch like it's just in that whole tradition and I feel like it's when veganism really started I mean there's been a lot of you know strains of veganism over the years going back to like the dawn of time but when modern western veganism really became kind of this odd thing distanced from politics in a certain way so there i mean it's definitely like an interesting topic it was a very interesting time um in the evolution of this particular movement but yeah, it really just started grating on me how I was just like, oh, wow, you now your parents are bailing you out. Now like I don't like you're just able to get another investor right off the bat, you know, and just the ease that she was able to find these like mega rich people to get her so much money with no I mean, the other thing, not to like keep going on, is that her restaurant was making so much money. That to me is like the point. Like I run a restaurant. I have friends who run restaurants in New York city. Well, I have a little shop in New York city, not a restaurant. And it's almost impossible to make a profit. A, any restaurant on earth, B, a restaurant in union square in New York city, which is like insanely expensive rents. And she's actually making a profit. It's like, that is what I want to see the documentary about. How did she pull that off? And then she like goes and squanders it all by, you know, running off to Europe and not paying her staff and and letting all of her money get embezzled. It's so weird to me. So odd. I mean, part of me wonders, oh, I should tell people. So she meets this guy in Alec Baldwin's mentions. They start being like pen pals. 
he kind of catfishes her. He sends her some pictures that look like him, but like from a different time. Then he shows up. He looks a little different. She's like, okay. And then he immediately starts, oh, I'm a black op, CIA, blah, blah, blah. Like he just has this like fake. Never find out his actual job. Oh, I think his job is just swindling women. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I guess you're right. Well, so you didn't see, so like in the Tinder swindler, the guy was like, I'm a diamond dude and I have to go on these business trips for diamonds. So he was gone all the time. And then he would call her and be like, I'm in trouble. I need you to send me $20,000 right now. Or someone's going to kill me. Uh, And it has to be through Western union because my father came. It just was like some whole, it's exactly the same. I'm gone all the time. There's some pressing reason why you need to wire me money. Please. I loved you. Show me. You love me too. I'm a billionaire, by the way, just send me. $200,000 because I'm a billionaire. Um, Can you, but can you imagine like meeting your partner now and being like, I trust you. I think I've had a hard life. I just want to know. I can really trust you. Will you send me (laughs) $200,000? Well, the other thing is, and I don't know, I feel kind of judgy saying this, but in like the first half of the first episode, she bluntly says that she was marrying him so that he would give her money for the restaurant. Like, it's kind of a weird thing when you're like, oh, Sarma, it's so horrible. What happened when 10 minutes ago she was like, yeah, he told me to give me $2 million to like buy out my investors for the restaurant. So that's why I married him. So that I could get it tax free. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that's so weird. I, I mean, I guess, you know, I get to an interesting intersection. I was thinking about having this conversation with you and I was like, okay, I have this policy in life of like not talking trash on women in public or queer people in public, because that's just the world is taking care of it for me. And I was like, how do I talk about this woman who scammed? So like we, you know, spoiler alert, she scammed all of her employees. She stole tons of money from her employees. She stole their tips, their livelihoods. They dedicated themselves to this restaurant. They thought they knew her so well. And then she got like taken by this grifter magician, uh, CIA operative. And I'm just like, how do I talk about it without like sliding into this kind of pit of, feminist, anti-feminist despair. Yeah. I think, I mean, I kind of think, was it Stockholm? I mean, this is a listener asked this. Do we think that it was Stockholm syndrome or do we think that this person was very canny and knew what she was doing and did it anyway? I truly think it's both. I truly think that Sarma is really intelligent and really has a good heart and really has a good business sense and has a good food sense. I think all those things. I also think that that her privilege has blinded her to the point where she can't see how hard it is for other people to move through the world because it's been so easy for her. And when there have been obstacles, she turned to men to bail her out. And I, I, I also like, I don't want to trash talk Sarma, you know, like what's the point of just being like, I didn't like this person, but it's very, very hard for me to like, watch someone that I feel like can't get out of their own experience in that way. Um, and just, just hearing things like, yeah, how much she, that she bluntly like married someone for money. I mean, I think that it got to a point and I do really think that she cared about her staff and that it was, I mean, not to get really depressing and personal on this lively, delightful podcast of yours, but I basically saw this exact same thing happen to my mom. Like my mom, like my dad was a less successful version of this guy. He was definitely like a, my dad was just like this guy too, but tell me, tell me more, tell me more, tell me more. Yeah. I mean, it's like these, 
like very mentally ill people who are initially very charming, who you get into their web. And then, you know, the noose Titans, uh, like that was kind of a bad metaphor. Um, But, you know, and then like my mom basically, you know, wrote this novel about how she was in a dream for 20 years when she was with my dad just was like living this weird, I don't even know how to explain it even now because I don't understand it, but like living this weird dream life where she didn't really realize what was happening. And then my dad being literally taking, going to prison kind of woke her up and her being free from this, you know, abusive person. And um, if anyone wants to publish this novel, I have it sitting in my house. It's great. (laughs) I want to, I want to read it. You should read it. It's so beautiful and sad. And it's all about how she kind of came back to herself by volunteering in animal shelters. It's so beautiful. And it's just about how, you know, animals, you know, helped us. A a bad dog brought me home. I believe I've read a book like that. Like for me, and I think for you, having come from chaotic families, it's really, really hard for us to understand how this could happen to someone because I watched it happen to my mom. And my number one thing in life is for that never to happen to me. You know, so I think that like, when you come from that, you're like, how could this happen? I, that's my number one fear, but I, it does happen, you know? So I think that like, my mom was a really brilliant, wonderful, caring person who loved her kids more than anything. And at the same time, she exposed her kids to a really abusive person for their entire childhoods. So it's like, it all can happen at once. And I think that's the nature of abuse and, you know, manipulation, but I mean, Sarma says on her blog, if you read it, um, you know, oh, I read it little, after the show. Yeah. She has a little post about how, like she normally, you know, you don't get paid for being in these things, but she, her condition of being in it was that they pay off the, um, the employees who didn't get paid. So, I mean, you know, and obviously she wants to do some like damage control on her reputation and there's weird things like, you know, they even say in it, like, why did you hire uh, um, like reporter to interview you before you went to jail. Like, obviously she was thinking like, Oh, I'll do a big splashy thing and, you know, come back from all this, which I'm curious to see what her comeback will be. Um, but yeah, I think it's all those things at once. I think she's really smart. And I think she made some really horrible choices because she was manipulated by a very abusive person. Yeah. And also like the world telling her that she needed that style of companionship. She and this restaurant really attracted some, some scuzzy humans. Yeah. Some scuzzed out dudes. Some scuzz. Yeah. Um, Um, So, but I wonder, I couldn't help but wonder if she just at a certain point felt like it would be safer, like that she would no longer be like in this kind of gross objectification cycle if she just had like a husband. So she could be like, I'm done. I think she says that I'm pretty sure that that's mentioned that at a certain point that she's like, I just wanted a man to take care of me. I wanted, or like, there's something like a diary entry or something where she was like, I want a, you know, a powerful man. And like, that's, you know, so yeah, I think that's pretty explicit that. Yeah. <sighs> so, so she gets to this guy. Okay. So the whole, the, you know, the thing that's supposedly like the gag of the series or the reason it's bad vegan is because she goes on the run with this man. She like ditches her restaurant, ghosts her restaurant. Everyone is heartbroken and also broke. And then uh, they get caught because he uses her credit card to order a non-vegan pizza. And so then the news is like, look, she's vegan. And now she's not vegan. But guess what, listeners? She was still fucking vegan. 
Yeah, she didn't eat that pizza. <laughs> they never explicitly ask her, which I guess no one cares maybe, but vegans, I don't know. But I wanted them to be like, were you always vegan? You know, because I think the answer is obviously yes. And also like, I don't fucking care. Like it, it's like, you're, you're being totally brainwashed by this dude, just kind of trying to like survive in this horrible situation. I don't know. I'm not judging what people do, but it seems obvious that she didn't order the pizza, eat the pizza. It's oh. so silly. That was but that man's was, pizza. Yeah, definitely a man pizza. I was more interested in the raw angle of like, when you're, you know, on the run, are you stopping and I don't know, making some raw little carpaccio thing? Like, well, how are you eating? <laughs> but I well, think when they said she was a Chipotle, I was like, oh, okay. I mean, that's what I would be doing if I was living in that hotel is I would be Chipotle's. Yeah. I would be have a punch card. I bet you guys got punch cards. <laughs> is there anything I can yeah. get a loyalty program? Because I'm going to be here exactly. for a while. But I guess, don't you think it's actually, it's almost easier to be raw, not like from living in grocery stores on tour than not raw. Like I could, I could like go into a grocery store and I'll get like a cob of corn and enjoy it Yeah, without but much. Like- Yeah. But I feel like in order, this is my whole thing with raw, like in order to really be satisfied by that diet, you have to spend so much time prepping meals and trying to kind of replicate like warm food so that your like lizard brain is like, Oh, I've had enough food. But I feel like if you're just eating like carrots and celery sticks, you'll just kind of like flip out, which I think also is a really interesting argument that someone could make (laughs) that lack of cooked food might have kind of like turned a little switch in there. I got to tell you what she's probably like, so like weirdly, like low glycemic or whatever thing that makes you kind of daffy. Yeah. And then things were so hard. I have to tell you that at some point I worked at a produce market in the early two thousands and I tried to go raw because I was like, if I'm ever going to try it, this is the time. Cause you need to eat so much goddamn food all the time. And it's so expensive. But I quickly was like, you know what? There's so many things I don't do and I don't eat, it just is really nourishes my soul to eat like hot pad thai. Yeah. I was like, I can't do, I can't have like one more fucking thing that I can't eat. So yeah, no, totally. Here we, here well, we I think we all kind of went through that phase and thinking that raw food also is like a cure for every illness, you know, of like, Oh, I'm, I don't know, had the flu for a while. Let me eat a raw diet to like jumpstart my system or something. And I don't, that's not really how it works. But I also think like, if that, you know, makes you happy and you feel nourished and good, everyone's different. And, you know, I know people who eat like maybe a 25 or 50% raw diet and that's good for them. But yeah, it's, I don't know. It's such a, I I thought it was, they could have covered a little bit more how like the raw diet itself is so culty and how just like, I mean, just obviously any diet, just the approach to like, everyone can eat this one way is like kind of red flag, um, except for veganism, because that's very diverse and you can eat all different ways. Today's episode is brought to you by Jamie Soretti, Kim Mishimoto, Jamie Rabin, Laura Perry, Ellis Bernhardt, Emily Drake, Claudia Taylor, Remedios Martinez, Soshana Ruth Wechter, and Joey Soloway. If you would like to support Sagittarian Matters, in particular producer Chris Sutton, please send $5, $5 million, that's your business, via PayPal to hornetleg at gmail.com. Or, this just in, he's got a Venmo. It's Hell Books on Venmo. H-E, double hockey sticks, books. 
Thank you for your support, and we look forward to saying your name on the podcast. Puerto Sapano looks forward to it too. Don't be scared. That's just Pano's speaking voice. I know that you want to talk about junk food veganism versus health food veganism. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know. I feel like now there's, it's interesting to see where pure food in mind fits in the modern history of veganism in terms of now it's just so many things that, that they were doing are really taken for granted and veganism is so mainstream. Um, but I feel like, I feel like for me, there's these two poles of like, you know, there's raw food vegans who are like super obsessed with health and juicing and, um, you know, being, I feel like I have noticed in this, I don't want to get like hate mail from raw vegans. I feel like that's going to happen now, (laughs) but I don't think I've met any raw person in the later two thousands. Me neither. No, that's true. Um, but I, you know, like I don't, I feel like a lot of people who were into that lifestyle, when I knew them, it kind of came hand in hand with maybe some light disordered eating, um, some kind of like really focus on skinniness, honestly. And I feel like the opposite pole of that in, in my like vegan community is a kind of more like punk, like junk food vegan, which is just kind of this thing of like, I just want all the, you know, tofuti cuties I can find. And like, what matters is animals. That's it. And I mean, I much more respect to the, what matters is animals. That's it. Um, because I'm more on the political side of things, but also like, I'm very, very much more for like, you know, paying farmers more and having a equitable food supply chain all down the line. So it's, it's weird. These like two poles, you know, but I wouldn't even say like that. I don't know that raw vegans were really like, what are the people harvesting these 20,000 young coconuts I'm shipping over from Brazil? Like, how are they getting paid? Like, what's the carbon cost of that? So this woman, Sarna, Sarma gets, gets the pizza, the pizza gets delivered. The cops look at those gum shoes look at the credit cards. They show up to the hotel. They go to arrest her. A lot of people show up to help her with her dog. Um, that was a cute part that so many people were like very interested in her dog. Well, and, yeah, the like un maybe semi unhoused person who was really yeah. like, I'll go to New York right now, or I'll go to wherever she was, Tennessee and get that dog. And then her, like her dog, that was cute. That was nice. Her friend from Chipotle. Yeah, her Chipotle bug. Her dad. Everybody swarm, swarming in to get the dog while she's in jail. Um, and then I can't remember how much time she serves, but then she gets out of jail. And the man gets the man go to jail. I don't remember. Yeah, so well, he was, I think he couldn't make bail. So he was in jail for like a year before their trial. I don't know. I think she was there for a couple weeks or months. Because she got bailed out. Yeah. No one would bail him out. Thank God. No. And it's just, and then that's, that's pretty much it. I mean, and now she's, she has her blog. She's planning her comeback. I feel. I wonder. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, the other weird thing about it was like when they asked her at some point, like, well, did you feel weird about, cause she was like, I didn't think we were on the lamb. I thought we were just traveling, which at a certain point she was like, oh, this is she, you know, she was clearly using a different name, covering up her tattoo, but, you know, they asked her like, well, did you feel weird about being away from your restaurant and for, you know, for this long? And she was like, 
oh no, there've been times when I was traveling and like, and I don't want to just kind of buy into this like cult of work that if you own a restaurant, you have to work 24 hours a day. Like, you know, that's not how I want to live. But I was also like, yeah, what? Like you're how you have this like $7 million a year restaurant and you're just going to Europe for like weeks at a time and just letting everyone else run it. Like, what's that about? It's just the whole thing. Like who has a small business who's just like constantly going to Europe and gallivanting. Um, and then for the people running the restaurant to not even be able to have the money that they earned running her restaurant, which is really hard work. Lacosta, is there anything else that you wanted to say about bad vegan, your review of bad vegan, thumbs up, thumbs down, anything about any of this? Well, I'd say it's a real thumbs down. Um, <laughs> I feel like I've talked so much about it. I've like spent so like too much of my life on this thing that I, in the end, I was like, why did I watch that? It's kind of weird. Um, but it was interesting from a like documentary perspective. But let me see. I texted a friend of mine who's also like old school in the vegan movement. Um, and here's so and I was like, do you you know, do you feel this way about pure food and wine that it epitomized this like kind of white, skinny, like kind of veganism that I'm not into? And she said something really interesting that I'm going to read to you. Um, uh, she said, this is my friend, Liz, who I also have a little podcast with, but we stopped doing it because I don't know why. Um, but yeah, if you want to look it up, what is it called? Thanks in advance. <laughs> little plug. Um, anyway, so Liz says totally, but I also think for a movement to be real, it has to have all these shades exist in it in order to prove that veganism is durable. It is really important to show that there can be expressions of it that are both accessible and feminist, but also exclusive and unobtainable. And I I think that's true. I think that's a good point that like, you know, we can have our little qualms with this, the, the moment that this restaurant occupied in time, but in the end, like there's all different kinds of like things within the vegan movement and that's fine. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I hope Sarma's doing okay. I hope her dog lives forever. And like, I hope that she does have a comeback. Cause I think she's really smart and has a lot of like good things in her. And I hope that she's gone to therapy. Yeah. I hope she's gone to a lot of therapy. Yeah. Seriously. I hope no one gives her money to invest in a restaurant for a while. Well, I don't know if I God. hope that. I don't know. And I, and I, and, and listeners, you can rest assured knowing that if Lagusta and I ever get scammed, it won't be for money. It'll be in other ways. It's true. I feel like I'm very gullible, but not about money, about like people. Yeah. Like I, I don't actually, you can't, I mean, yeah, you could call my mom and try to get that check for $25, whether it, whether it cashes, that's unclear. Um, the last thing I want to know is, will you tell me about your new business? Oh yeah. Well, I have so much stuff going on. It's ridiculous. Well, yeah. So I started a little like mini um, I don't know if it's going to be mini little chocolate arm of my main chocolate business, um, called softer power sweets. The name's taken from Noam Chomsky. Um, the concept of soft power, as opposed to hard power, IE like war anyway. Um, and we're making CBD, um, caramels and like cannabis things when THC becomes legal in New York, who knows when that will be. Um, but until then we're starting out with like a line of CBD chocolates that I think we're going to launch in like a month. Um, inconveniently very near 
420, which I refuse to launch on, even though my like pothead business partner, Shana is like, that's the date we should launch on. It will not be. Um, so yeah, we're trying to do like good ethical, like vegan, you know, good quality ingredients. Um, but with some really nice local, um, cannabis that's grown by this beautiful, like woman run farm 20 minutes from us, um, Hepworth farm. So yeah, it's going to be exciting. Wonderful. And people can, can they find that through your regular website or is there a separate dedicated website they should go to? Yeah. Soon, I guess it'll be on our regular website, which is lagustasluscious.com. No one can spell it. I don't know. Try to Google it. Um, but we have a website, softerpowersweets.com. So look that up too. I think it's live. We're building it all right now. So yeah. Thanks. Thanks for that plug opportunity. I can't wait. I can't wait to turn to like a total pothead. <laughs> I just eating. It's going to be great. It's I'm like, so not a weed person. So it's been like a real journey for me, but I'm really excited because I don't own the business. Like it just me, it's me and three other people. So I'm really enjoying owning a business with, um, other people. Cause it's, it's the best. I highly recommend it. Don't own businesses yourself. It's too annoying. Me, you and your dog brainwash me. Yeah. Then you're going to fall prey to some guy who's in Alec Baldwin's DMS. Could happen. How did Alec Baldwin even know that guy? We'll never find out because the documentary didn't ask the actually interesting questions. True. And also I feel like, why didn't we hear from Alec Baldwin? Well, I think he's like, he's a little busy right now. Huh? He's over. He's over. But I just, you know, every single thing I was like, this is the natural question in my mind ignored. Yeah, I know. It was very, it was very odd. Like the focus was not what I was interested in, but such is the way, why don't we make all the culture that's uh, available? I don't know. We're too, we're too busy going to therapy. Lagusta, thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you for asking me. What a treat. Uh, Sagittarian Matters is listeners. Um, I'm reviewing a thing that, let's be honest, I it might not be vegan. I really don't know. It is a item from Russia. This is nothing to do with the politics of Russia right now, but I'm going to tell you that's the origin of this candy. Right? Yeah, okay. Correct. The person that gave it to me, yes. It's called Sluka something else. It's a, it's a word that I can't say, but basically it's a chocolate covered prune, but there's no ingredients. So maybe vegan and I'm going to review it. Oh yeah. That is a, it's like a raisinette, but like for a person who can handle a true food, (laughs) chocolate covered prune. It's really just prune and chocolate. I'm going to say it's vegan and I'm going to say it gets all the stars. I love you. Sagittarian Matters is produced by Chris Sutton with assistance by Ponyo Georges. Our theme music is composed by Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs of the band Bouquet. 
Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time.